listening to BC Museum Portraits, and I'm Project Manager Spencer Stewart. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Executive Director of the Cumberland Museum and Archives, Rosalind Shipp. Rosalind, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and speak about all the uh, developments at the Cumberland Museum and Archives. How, how did you get involved with museums in general and, and your pathway to working with the Cumberland uh, Museum? So I have a background in political science and then I found myself in a role of education within the private sector and then I thought oh, I'd really love to do education and programming in a public forum and I started to take some of the University of Victoria cultural courses and just found my way into art galleries and museums. The, the history of the Cumberland Museum and Archives, you're just finishing up a, a renovation and you'll be opening very soon, but walk us through this, the, the history of it. How did the collection initially start and, and what were some of its different iterations? From my understanding of the history of the community, the museum really started as like a backroom collection. There was the Comox Press that was just down the street on Dunsmuir here and in the back room they started to create a little exhibition space and so people would provide early artifacts to be on display there and I would say there wasn't really a curatorial process at that time, it just was sort of that gathering of items and that was in the late 60s and that was not too long after the mines here in the community had started to close so I think there was this probably this idea to preserve this history of the people who worked here as people started to move away from the community and then in the early 80s the museum founded a historical society and the village decided to put money into building a museum and a tourist information center and so that's when the building was this building was created and the museum came into its first being and what were the nature of the early collections? What, what were their strengths? What were their focuses in those early years and on into the development of the mm. historical society? I would say the early part of the collection involves a lot of mining equipment, very much aligned with the industrial history of the community. And then as we move into the mid-70s and into the early 80s, I think we have also have a large collection from what was the then Chinatown. The Chinatown in Cumberland has a sad history. So once the mining community closed down and a lot of the workers left this area to other opportunities, there was a lot of vacancy within the Chinatown community. And it was a decision by the village council that the Chinatown would be demolished. And so there was a lot of scavenging that happened, which is, I think, a neat part of our collection. A lot of those items then found their way to the museum when they reopened in the 80s to represent Chinatown. But I think that when we, we look at it now and we think of the context and we look at our archival records to say, oh, this was found or dug up from Chinatown. It speaks not just to the history of the Chinese population that lived there, but then the 80s sort of treatment of that community and the relationship that was there. Hmm. Do you acquire materials actively or is it more based on community contact? How has it developed over the years? 
mainly community contact. During our renovation, we put a hold on accepting new donations, unless it was maybe for something particular that we felt there was a story maybe missing from the narrative of the museum, and then we would reach out to community. In the last year, we've also created a community collections advisory committee, and so the purpose of this committee was when we were looking at deaccessioning, we had a lot of very similar artifacts and perhaps with our limitations on storage, we only needed a couple of items to represent one area of the collection. And then the purpose of the committee is twofold in that it's also meant to identify areas where we are lacking in the collection and so to help us to make relationships with other members in the community. What are some blind spots you think in the collection at present that you're hoping to develop? I'd say in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, the music scene in Cumberland and the folk art festivals that came out was really something quite unique and interesting. The Island Folk Fest started here and we have very little in the way of posters or photographs or video footage from that time period. So it's something that those individuals, a lot of them are still here and so we're trying to make those connections to see if we can include more artifacts from that time period. What was the process of reconceiving the collection during this renovation and this opening? One of the things that actually our board of directors and I worked on was outreach to the community to find out what does the community value in the museum. So it wasn't necessarily specifically about building exhibitions, it was more of a general um, why are we here, what are we doing, rethinking our core values. And the responses that came out of that led us to think about, okay, people are telling us they really care and they see us as a center for labor history. And so that's something that we then need to include in our exhibition development. This is an important part. And what was also interesting to know is that the community is really changing. The demographic of Cumberland has really shifted from individuals at retirement age to young families. And so they don't know so much about the history of Cumberland because they haven't lived here for generations. And so newcomers are coming for the recreation activities and the outdoor quality of life that our village offers. And so we wanted to include some of the history on that aspect as well that may not have been included in the past narrative of the museum. Mm -hmm. So we took a few different approaches of just brainstorming all the different aspects and talking to the community about what was important to them. From those conversations, did those change your perception of the collection? Were these articles and topics of interest that could be reflected through the collection or was it something that you were realizing that you needed to actively look for materials to represent? these stories? I would say that both of those things were true, that we did have like specifically for some areas where it was labor history and the industrial history we actually had a very strong collection mm -hmm. but then when we started to move to wanting to talk about recreation in the community we didn't have such a strong amount of artifacts that would lend to that storytelling and we really like to use artifacts to, t to tell the stories so that there's that secondary level of engagement and 
so we reached out to community members and we asked from Forbidden Plateau that's close, do you have anything that we could use? And it actually helped us to build more of a camaraderie in the community around what we were doing and I think there was a real benefit to that. In this process of speaking to, to the community and thinking about collection development moving mm -hmm. forward, what are some stories or, or histories that you're excited to set up exhibitions about for this community? I think one of the things that we're really looking forward to is in two years from now, in June 2023, is Cumberland's 125th anniversary. And so we are starting now to think about what areas are underrepresented, what new things could we um, bring out what new narratives and stories could we be developing that give a fresh light to some of the histories that haven't been so told. So we know at one point a, a black community here of about between 30 and 40 individuals and we know little to nothing about them. So that's a unique opportunity we might be able to have to do a little bit more research on that history from the community and keep in touch with community elders that have been helping build some of the narratives. In working with the collection and, and, and being involved with the community, uh, what has surprised you? What has been unforeseen in, in the uh, overall history of, of Cumberland? I think that with respects to the collection, there's an attachment that's really interesting with our collections committee, specifically when we, during our renovation, when we had a number of things laid out and you get to hear the individual stories or why one object over another may be of interest to them, that perhaps myself and, and Leah were like, oh, but th this one has a really unique story. It might not be the most beautiful of the two, or it may be damaged or broken, but it has this uh, sort of grit to it that gets under your skin and you want to tell those stories and then other community members will come in from a totally different angle. Those conversations allow you to open your own thinking and look outside of the box we sometimes create for ourselves. Hmm. Um, what are some holdings in the collection that really excite you, that you feel have a, a resonant potential for telling stories to the community? I think that we have a couple new acquisitions that I think are really interesting and speak to the relationship that we've really been uh, developing with the Comox First Nations. So part of our new exhibition development was working with the Comox Band Council to say how would they be interested in portraying their cultural history in our museum and, and at first obviously if they would uh, like to participate in that and there was a lot of enthusiasm. So what we found really interesting from the conversations with them is that was the contemporary pieces from their culture that they were really interested in sharing. We have, they have tribal canoe journeys every year and so one of the artifacts that we've just been given is a 1990s t-shirt that was part of the branding for those journeys and I think everyday items like that that bring that feeling of nostalgia that our current community members can relate to have a really strong impact that not everything needs to be a hundred so plus years old that we can tell some of these uh, more contemporary histories. What are some of your hopes, aspirations for the uh, Cumberland Museum moving forward and, and what are maybe some obstacles or challenges to, to reaching those goals? Yeah, one of the goals that 
Lee and I both have specifically around the collection is definitely diving in a little bit more to the provenance of artifacts. So when you have a collection that starts off in the back room of a news <laughs> a newspaper, you lose some of the provenance of that. So I think one of the things that we really look forward to is the research that goes into the artifacts. And then as we learn more about the artifacts, we learn more about the history of the individuals and the people um, who were here at that time. I think also the other important part for Leah and I is really uh, reaching out to the descendants of the Chinese and Japanese community. As Leah and I are both new to the museum, it's been a really strong hold for the museum's past uh, staff to have a really great connection with those communities, and I think that we can further that with some of the other work we're doing. Have there been independent researchers that make use of the collection in their own projects? We've definitely had a number of individuals from within the labor history movement that have done research here, as well as we get a lot of University of Victoria students that come up because we're quite local. And in 2014, there was a collaborative project on the Lower Mainland and on the island for a Chinese collection, and so that collection is often asked to be used for research or for demonstration purposes. What are some things that you're seeing in the community at the moment that you think are, are of interest for your own purposes of, of developing the collections of the museum? I think one of the really key things that's happening within the current community right now, and I would say since I'd say it maybe started with sort of the the tree planters coming and this the value in the 70s and 80s moving into the natural resources of the environment of our community and looking at them through a different lens so it had been resource extraction and now it's more about resource preservation so we have an organization in the community Cumberland Community Forest Society and that was formed out of a group of individuals who thought there is value in this forest that surrounds our village, which is privately owned, which has to do with the land grants that were given at the turn of the century. So this value that has shifted from resource extraction to saving the forest and the environmental concerns, I think that's a really neat transition for these overlapping values that we have on the land here and that our contemporary audiences can really connect with, but also gives them an opportunity to learn about what it was like before as well and how this shift is occurring. So I feel like at the moment we're living in the history of Cumberland because as you mentioned, the demographic is changing. We have a lot of young families here now, and they're utilizing the recreation opportunities, and they're out in the community and out in the forest, and that value is growing within them. And I think we can couple that with exhibits and programming that we do here that will really start to shift the narrative a little bit, not letting go of our narrative of the past, but to be able to add to it. Rosalind, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down. Thank you. This has been another BC Museum Portrait. BC Museum Portraits is done in partnership with the BC Museum Association. To hear more portraits and view the accompanying images made by project photographer Taiyu Hayward, please go to museum.bc.ca. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.